Faces and Feels podcast is brought to you by Pario. Pario Magazine is a bi-monthly physical print magazine highlighting individuals with a desire to create. The latest issue of Pario Magazine is a special Aussie wrestling edition focusing on the heroes behind the scenes. Find Pario online at www.pariomagazine.com.au. What it is, what's up, and welcome everyone to Faces and Feels. I'm your host, Rafe Houston, and today I am joined by a very special guest. Whether you know him for screaming his lungs out at the start of a show, or as the voice of Expect the Unexpected Pro Wrestling, it's the one and only, it's Righteous Jesse. How are you, mate? Man, I am great. Thank you so much for having me on. I am excited to talk pro wrestling and all things ETU with you. Thanks again for having me on, man. I'm super excited for this. No worries, man. I'm a big fan of ETU. Obviously, it's a promotion that's pretty close to my heart, so it's going to be fun to speak to somebody else besides Struggles about it, get your takes <laughs> from behind the desk and, and calling the action. Hell yeah. I'm looking forward to it, man. Sweet, sweet. Well, before we get, bury the lead and go straight into that stuff, let's just rewind all the way back to the start, man, and talk about uh, your like initial exposures to pro wrestling and how you got into it. So when you think back to it, what were some of the like faces that stood out to you that made you start to pay attention to it? So my, my very first memory of pro wrestling is pretty funny. Uh, the first face I remember seeing is like, is Sting, Surfer Sting. Yeah. Uh, but I never really grew up a Sting fan, oddly enough. Um, but some of the characters that really stuck out to me at first, some of my first favorite pro wrestlers were uh, Tatanka and the Smoking Guns. Awesome. Uh, yeah, super random answers, but yeah. uh, I grew up in uh, Middle Tennessee, mm -hmm. uh, so I got like... I got everything really. I got some NWA affiliates, some WCW, uh, well, most WCW and WWF, ECW. Um, I used to be a giant nerd when I was a kid, and I couldn't watch anything but wrestling. Nothing would hold my attention. Yeah. So I watched. I was predominantly a WWF kid growing up, but I watched a lot of like WCW Saturday Night. So like Alex Wright, Dean Malenko, um, going back to WWF, the Road Warriors. You know, some of the faces that really stuck out to me were like. Faces you would expect the kids to say, like Road Warriors, but then I could throw in curveballs like Alex Wright, huge Alex Wright fan. Yeah, so right. just really weird uh, faces that stuck out to me. Yeah, exactly. That, that's quite the um, contradiction there when you think about Alex Wright versus like the likes of, you know, the power and paint guys like Sting and the Road Warriors and, you know, all those kind of larger-than-life characters. So I think I figured out what drew me to Alex Wright, and the only thing – Aside from like just the dancing and like the the lights he had when he came out was every time I watched Alex Wright wrestle on Saturday, he always had a different pair, like a different color uh, set of trunks. Mm -hmm. And for some reason, even as a small kid, that stuck out to me. And it, I don't know, in a, even though they were just like plain colors, like green or blue or red or whatever, like I was always curious to see what color he was going to wear the following week <laughs> if he was on TV. Yeah, yeah. So I, I just, from that, I just loved Alex Wright. Yeah, you went to, you were into like gear right from the start. I guess so, which, you know, oddly enough, when I wrestled, I never had 
gear. It was like street clothes mostly because I did a lot of brawling and shit. But yeah. Uh, uh-huh. yeah, I just just really fascinated by you know people that wear different sets of gear. Yeah, yeah, that that's really cool. I wasn't aware that you'd done wrestling, so that's going to be an interesting uh, uh, thing to get into here a little bit. So you're you're into that. You're watching all that stuff as a kid. At what point do you then? maybe think you want to do it like you're obviously older by then so you're are you still a fan all through high school and everything um so my story is pretty funny um i once i found wrestling um i pretty much stayed consistent with it until i was about 17 16 17 i started training when i was 14 wow um yeah, I, I started, uh, me and a group of friends, we backyard wrestled, uh, my best, my best friend, Brett Eisen and I would like backyard wrestle some, didn't really know what we were doing. Um, he ended up going to a different school for a year. Then we, um, go, ended up going to the same high school a year later. And it was like a meeting of like his friend group from that year he spent at another school, me, and then some friends we all collectively made in high school. We started backyard wrestling together. And we would do, we would go to like such great lengths as to uh, print flyers and pass them out at school, even though like nine times out of 10, nobody would show up. Yeah. But one time this girl uh, gave a flyer to, I think it was her cousin or uncle who was a local pro wrestler in the small town we lived in mm-hmm. and him and his tag team partner stopped by. And they were like, yo, we're going to train you guys because if we don't, you're going to kill yourselves. Uh, and then we had like a small run at their like local uh, local fed called Havoc Wrestling Alliance. Yeah. Um, and they took us to a few shows like in the area, like real small town shows. Uh, and there's a lot of fun stories that come with that. But we maybe we can touch on those in a bit. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll rewind a little bit just because like, for me, growing up in Australia, wrestling, super niche, like beyond niche that is for you guys. So I didn't really mm-hmm. grow up having friends that cared about wrestling. You know what I mean? Like I got into it. I used to rent out the VHS tapes because it wasn't on TV. I used to watch it with my dad and my dad started getting into it with me. And so, you know, the the new shows had come out and the, the video store would keep them for me. So I'm watching like WrestleMania 13 and stuff like that. Like, you know, a couple of months delayed after when it happened, Stone Cold, all that. But none of my friends ever cared about it. So for wow. me, it was just this sort of thing I had on my own. You know, Even now, it's kind of on my own. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I, I started this podcast and I've got friends from all around the world and I've got a couple of guys, you know, in Perth that will watch it with me if something's going on, but nobody's really into it like in the way that I'm into it. You know, it's a very solitary mm-hmm. sort of fandom for me. Luckily, my wife likes it too, so it's fun that I can can watch it with her. But for you guys, it must have been so cool having like a friend group that regardless of if the greater school or, you know, people thought it was cool, you guys didn't really give a fuck and you guys would just do it because that's what you did as friends. You know what I mean? And handing out flyers and stuff like that i never had that so that that is super interesting did you guys like cop flack from other people in the school that didn't think it was cool or in america is it so mainstream that it like is just accepted and everyone's like yeah that's just the cool thing that people do because i i imagine i would have been quite bullied for even talking about it <laughs> yeah. so i can't speak for everybody um but my experience is actually the complete opposite. In high school on the bus, there was this dude 
that always used to give me shit. Like, he always picked on me. And I was, like, pretty quiet and reserved as a kid, especially in high school. I was, like, weird, like, goth punk kid into wrestling and, like, weird music and shit. So, like, people didn't really... I wouldn't say people didn't really mess with me, but, like, I was quiet and uh, I kind of got along with everybody. But there was, like, one kid in particular on my bus that really messed with me. What he didn't know at the time is we had built a ring in my backyard, and it was the shittiest ring you could imagine. Um, And around this time, I had found CZW uh, and started watching some Japanese deathmatch wrestling. I had, like, maybe one or two VHS tapes of Japanese deathmatch wrestling compilations, Mm -hmm. and I was hooked. I saw Sick Nick Mondo. I saw – and at this point, I had already seen – the things that made me want to be a pro wrestler were – Jeff Hardy, Matt Cross, and Josh Prohibition. Yeah, wow. Three very random names. Yeah. Uh, one of which most most people recognize. Two, uh, if I said them to anybody on the street, they wouldn't know who the hell I was talking about, being Matt and Josh. But um, we built that ring in my backyard, and we had been wrestling. And at this point, we had been trained, and I had found CZW and Deathmatch Wrestling, and I was like, yo, this is, this is what the fuck I want to do. Yeah. So I started experimenting with doing Deathmatch Wrestling in the backyard. Uh, for whatever reason, after we built that ring, we had like, I want to say close to a hundred people show up to my backyard to watch us just beat the shit out of each other with fucking light tubes (laughs) and filing cabinets and scanners and all kinds of stuff that we would just grab at yard sales and whatnot. Um, so the net, I think I had like a backyard death match on like a Saturday Mm -hmm. and then Monday I'm still bandaged up at school, get on the bus, and I'm just like, this kid's gonna fuck with me. And he finally just walks up to me, and he was like, like, like this this went as far as, like, this kid would, like, just, like, slap my ass and put gum on his hand and oh, just get gum man. stuck to my jeans. Like, just petty shit like that. Yeah, that's awesome. So, this kid walks up to me on the bus, and I was like, I don't want to deal with this guy. And he was like, yo, you're fucking crazy. And I was like, what? Yeah. He was like, we, we came to watch you guys wrestle, and you're fucking crazy. Because, like, I think... Like at that point, the craziest thing I had done was like, was that was that like quote unquote show? I got hit with like thirty fluorescent light bulbs and like <laughs> Jesus Christ! I, uh, I was, dude, I was obsessed with like, I don't remember what match it was, but I saw a match where they just poured salt all over the ring, and I was yeah. obsessed with that idea. Uh, uh, so I did that, and uh, oh my all, God. all kinds of crazy shit. And he was what like, what age is this, like, like, early teens? Like, I would have been 15 or 16, maybe. Yeah, wow. What do your yeah. parents think about all this at this point? My my dad straight up called it barbaric and the most ridiculous thing he had ever heard of. My mom was just like, she knew there was nothing she could do. She was like, you're going to do this regardless. I might as well support you and make sure you're as safe as possible. So she was... She was a good one about that. Yeah, yeah. My dad, on the other hand, was just like, fuck that. You're nuts. <laughs> yeah, well, she's like, he's better he does it in my backyard than out fucking in the woods or something, you know? Pretty much, because that was also a, a, a very viable option later down the line. We ended up wrestling. I did a weird backyard wrestling tournament at a friend's house mm-hmm. and uh, wrestled like a legitimate child uh, <laughs> in someone's backyard in a ring in the woods, so... Yeah, Jesus she was just God. like, you know what? Give you a safe place. You can do this, and just it, if you get cut bad enough, I can take you to the hospital. I guess. So. Yeah, yeah. 
that's fucking crazy. So in the end, it kind of worked in your favour and you ended up gaining the respect uh, of people around the school, well, in some ways, or at least they were scared of you. <laughs> yeah, it, it went from uh, being bullied to, uh, dude, you're fucking nuts. Uh, yeah. I don't know what this psycho is going to do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> I don't know if there'd been many school shootings at that point, but at that point you're also candidate number A and they don't want to fuck with you. <laughs> so it's funny you say that. Uh, for a brief period, my cousin uh, lived with me and – I, I don't remember this conversation, but my mom likes to tell the story where uh, I guess when my cousin lived with me, he was like talking shit about me to uh, somebody at school because for a brief period, we went to the same high school yeah. and they were like, Jesse Butler, like, nah, don't fuck with him. And yeah. like, I don't remember this at all, but my mom tells me the story like once a year. She's like, do you remember when your cousin like wanted to fight you? And then like all these people at school said like you were going to like fucking like you were crazy. And I was like, I was like the most chill, but like. This is before anxiety and everything. Like, yeah, yeah. I was so chill in high school. Yeah. I just wanted to listen to music and, like, watch wrestling. That was it. Yeah, yeah. Well, you obviously created that mystique through the death matches and stuff where you're just, like, this quiet guy listening to music and they're like, he fucking bleeds on the weekend. Do not talk <laughs> to him. <laughs> for free, too. Yeah, He's yeah. not even getting paid for this. Exactly. And I imagine as well it didn't help, um, it didn't hurt your rep at all once uh, Brett Eisen returns uh, to be in the same school as you because that's a fucking monster of a person. <laughs> and, uh, having him oh, as your man. best friend would be quite a bit of uh, credibility as well. Yeah, he, uh, we, we were, you know, pretty much just glued to each other, you know, just because of wrestling and, you know, various other things we ended up having common interests in. Uh, we essentially grew up together and lived together for most of our 20s yeah. uh, from, like, probably – 18 to through most of our 20s through like some really hard stuff we uh that's that's my brother like yeah. even if we don't talk like every day or every week like we've been through some really tough stuff together so no matter what that that's my dude yeah exactly well i hope shout out to brett i hope he's doing well i know he stepped away from wrestling for a bit at the moment but i was a big fan of his like he's mm -hmm. an absolute weapon if anybody hasn't seen brett Ison wrestle go find those matches get on iwtv check out sup check out um you know, ICW no holds barred because that man knows how to fight. He's an, he's an awesome yeah, he wrestler, does. man. He's an awesome wrestler. <laughs> um, so from there, uh, you're you're doing all that stuff. Are you trying to then train to to be a wrestler for real? Like, are you trying to book shows and stuff, or or does it not really go further than backyard stuff and the and that small fed you were talking about? So we did. We did our initial backyard wrestling stuff, which was, like, super untrained, just, like, kids goofing off. But we took it seriously. Like, there were scripts and stuff. It was crazy. Yeah. And then those guys trained us, and we did, like, a small, like, stint for, like, really just, like, shitty local indies, which was great because, like, I feel like I got experience that um, a lot of people today will probably never get, yeah. like, at 15, I had a shotgun pulled on me because of, like... What the fuck? Just... Oh, man. So, our trainers got us hooked up on this show maybe, like, an hour away from where we lived. And it was, like, small bar show. Uh, basically, like, almost any... Um, any, like, southern stereotype you can think of, I it, it was there. Yeah, wow. And uh, the promoter took the money box and ran and me, oh my, my friend Travis and my mom were standing by her car 
my trainer just yells, get in the car, follow that car. So we follow the car. Uh, we go through all these crazy windy back roads and dude just like pulls into a driveway, runs into a house. As he runs into the house, another guy run, comes out of the house with a shotgun and our trainer looks back at us and he was like, sorry, boys, the little bit of money you were possibly going to get paid, it just ain't worth it. And we just pull off and uh, yeah. So we go from like having fun in the backyard to getting trained to doing like really small Southern indie shows to basically like back to backyard wrestling, which is super frowned upon at that point um, to still kind of dabbling with like, with like some indie stuff, but we just wanted to have fun at that point. We were like a wrestling career would be cool, but we're still too young. Um, so we're just having fun in the backyard. And then I stepped away from all of it for, I don't know, maybe four or five years and was like trying to like start hardcore bands and got really into like going to hardcore shows and stuff. And then, um, Brett and I became good friends with, uh, Carrie awful who wrestles over here in America. And I think he sent some stuff in Canada and some other places. Um, <clears throat> so through hanging out with him, we start watching wrestling more and more frequently and just start goofing around. And then I think shortly after that, Brett and I tagged for a little bit. I stepped away again and I didn't really do anything for another six years. Wow. Um, I think six years later was when I had my first match back. And that was the second sub show where I wrestled tank in a death match. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Way to, <laughs> way to get your feet wet again. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, we, uh, we used to do a podcast called kick out of two and we mm -hmm. went down for the scenic city invitational mm -hmm. and, uh, we interviewed tank and after we got done interviewing Tank, he just kind of hung out in our hotel room for hours mm -hmm. and just shot the shit with us, told us all kinds of crazy stories. Yeah. And I was like, man, I, uh, I know there's no career for me in wrestling, uh, but I'd like to have one legitimate pro wrestling death match before I like stop wrestling. And he was like, well, shit, I'm your guy. Yeah. And I thought about that every day for a year until it happened. Wow. And then it happened and I was just like, it's funny, like you wouldn't think like, getting curb stomped into Legos and glass would be something somebody would want, but God damn it. I was like over the moon for it. Yeah. I had so much fun with that. That's amazing, man. Uh, I've spoken to tank before I've had him on the show. He's awesome. He's just such a great person. Uh, and yeah, best. he did that with you. That's so cool. Um, but before we get to, we'll get, we'll get to sup then. So let's quickly talk about the band stuff. Cause I was also in a band for like 10 plus years playing metal shows and, and touring and stuff like that. What do you play, man? Were mm -hmm. you doing vocals? Do you play guitar? What do you do? It, it was vocals. Uh, unfortunately, as, as hard as I tried, uh, I could not learn an instrument to save my life. Uh, and oddly enough, I don't like, they say when you like scream or do vocals, you're supposed to do it with your diaphragm. Never picked up on that either. I just completely blow up my vocal cords every time I ring an ounce or play a show. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> I, uh, I fronted a handful of bands. Um, nothing like big. Uh, toured and did merch with some uh, some other you know regional bands, um, and did that for quite a while. Uh, and then all through that, I'm still like kind of keeping an eye on wrestling. This is about the time where CM Punk and Daniel Bryan were in WWE, and I had kind of fallen out. And Brett was like, "Yo, you should you should turn on WWE, uh, American Dragons on fucking TV." And I'm in CM Punk, and I'm just like, yo, what? Like, yeah. the landscape has changed drastically. Mm -hmm. So I really hopped back in at that point and uh, 
the rest is pretty much history. Started going to like more indie shows and um, we started our podcast, I think six years ago. Yeah, wow. Ish. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that led to like, oddly enough, like that led to the creation of SUP and so many other things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so cool. Um, so tell me about SUP then. So how do you step from podcaster into essentially starting your own show so um we were going down to atlanta which is about four hours away from where we live uh we were heavily covering a show there called atlanta wrestling entertainment um we would go down there we would sometimes do commentary and we would watch the shows and we helped promote that show we would you know if we went down a day early we would you know grab some flyers go flyer for the show uh try to get people to come um and in return those guys were great at you know if there was someone on the show we wanted to talk to they would help hook it up so we would interview people while we were there after the show um turns out at that time kevin Koo lived in atlanta and i had known him for a handful of years at that point but through just life and moving and stuff we fell out of contact um and i don't even remember how we got back in contact but he lived in Atlanta at the time, and my buddy uh, Wilkins and I went down to Atlanta, met up with him, uh, watched an Atlanta wrestling entertainment show, then went out and had some badass Chinese food and interviewed Koo in my car. And Koo and I stayed in contact after that. Um, and I told him, just in casual conversation, like, I want to run just one show just to see what it does. And then he moved back to Nashville and was like, yo, I want to start a show. Uh, and I was like, cool, if you need any help, let me know. And he was like, well, that's why I'm telling you because I want you to help. Mm-hmm. So then five years ago, uh, I think last Sunday, mm-hmm. Saturday, Sunday, uh, was the fifth anniversary of SUP. Yeah, well. um, so half a decade of us just really winging it every single <laughs> time. Uh, just honestly, some of the best, some of the best memories of my entire life putting on those shows. And uh, and how's SUP going now? Because if I remember correctly, or something the the building you guys used to use was destroyed or something, wasn't it? Like, mm-hmm. and you had um, to relocate or something happened. Yeah, there was a few, maybe about two years ago. There was a, it was like right before COVID really hit. Um, there was a tornado that came through Nashville, and it took out probably. I'd say 75% of that building, maybe 60, 75% of that building. So we had a show on the books for that venue. Um, and we ended up having to have it swapped to another venue. And honestly, like with the way Nashville works, we knew there was a great chance that venue would come back, but also it's like, man, real estate and property are like the hottest commodity in Nashville right now. Um, so it was like, well, it could come back as a venue or maybe they're just going to completely scrap it and it's going to be apartments or some shit. Who yeah. really knows? So we had, uh, we had the show that we were supposed to have at Basement East at a venue called the Exit Inn, which is like a historic venue for Nashville. I think it's been around since like the sixties or seventies. And I've seen like the misfits and, uh, a bunch of hardcore bands and metal bands and like it's it, it basically like a who's who of play has, has played that venue. So getting to do a show there was really cool. And like a, like low key kind of like a bucket list thing for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but the base, like, so in Nashville, we've run three venues. We've run the first two shows we did at this dive bar called the Cobra. 
Then we moved to the basement east, which is like home. And then we did that one show at Exit Inn, uh, just out of necessity. Um, but yeah, basement east is up and running again. Sup's home is up. We've done, um, we did, I think, one, one whole day of closed set tapings. And then we've done, I think, two shows with crowds there. Mm-hmm. So one last year and then the most recent one a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, we packed that fucker out. Uh, it was loud. It was hot. It was rowdy. Mm-hmm. And it just, like, you can go to a wrestling show and you can feel energy, but it's nothing like that crowd in the basement east for a sub show. It's it's unlike anything I've ever felt for a wrestling show. Yeah. I The... I, I haven't watched everything sub, you know, that's ever happened. I mean, there's barely mm-hmm. enough time to watch any wrestling ever, it feels like. But uh, the shows I have watched have this real, like, you know, uh, underground punk show, hardcore show sort of vibe about them, you know? Like, it, it looks mm-hmm. like somewhere I would want to go. It looked really intimate and really rowdy and, and kind of like a, a pretty awesome vibe you guys have cultivated there. Yeah, I mean, that just comes from Koo and I both being, like, old hardcore kids and stuff, and, like, um, I don't know if you've ever watched Freelance Wrestling out of Chicago, but I I can't speak for Koo, but in my head, when we started, like, really laying the foundation for SUP, Freelance was a huge influence on me. I always loved going to those shows in Chicago. Um, They've always had something really special up there, and it, it, whenever I went to those shows, it felt like... um, less of like a wrestling crowd and more of a community. Mm-hmm. And that's what I always wanted in Nashville. Like the South kind of sucks sometimes. <laughs> um, it's real conservative and like that doesn't really align with like how I live. Yeah. Um, so to be able to create a place where like maybe you're non-binary or you're gay or you're black or, you know, you have different religious beliefs, you can go to SUP and you don't feel, you know, like you're on trial constantly. Yeah. Yeah. You're a, uh... Your existence in the South sounds kind of stressful. All I'm hearing is guns and natural disasters, <laughs> and like, like basically all the stereotypes that we're told that America is sounds like your day to day life, basically. Dude, it America could be really great uh, <laughs> if guns weren't necessarily a thing, mm. and uh, not to get like super political or anything, yeah. but like. The, any anything you've heard about the South is probably true. Yeah, uh, we're we're trying to make it a little bit better, but it, you know, there's still some some of the old guard left that are really uh, putting up a fight. So I was about to say it's a, it's a lot of though. tradition and a lot of you know history that goes back a long way, and I imagine folks are set in their ways. So <laughs> I I can only Very. imagine how challenging <laughs> how challenging it is. Uh, I live in a country that is essentially kind of brand new you know what i mean we don't have mm-hmm. like a huge history and stuff as a result we don't really have much pride in our country either which is why you know <laughs> australia has such self-deprecating humor and stuff about it but where i live which is the most isolated city in the world in perth like i, d- I don't really have drama in my life any any complaints i have a, a minimal compared to, like, the kind of stuff you guys are dealing with. Like, the weather here is basically perfect all the time. You know, sometimes it's wet a little bit longer than it should be, or it does get pretty fucking hot, I'll give you that. It gets to, like, 44 degrees Celsius, which is pretty fucking hot for you guys. You know, I I don't know how to do the math, but it's in the hundreds, you know, uh, and that sucks. But besides that, you know, it's really 
you know, there's crime like anywhere and stuff, but not like the kind of stuff you guys deal with and and not like I'd have tornadoes ripping through like my fucking backyard and stuff, you know. So I can only imagine like the day-to-day challenges that you guys end up dealing with, you know. I feel for you. It's and, and realistically day-to-day it's not that bad. Like some days are worse than others. Like there's never there's never a day where I'm just like fuck everything, you know, like Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I basically had to stop listening to the news because it just got so depressing for a while, especially yeah. like during like peak COVID. Mm. Uh, but you know, like I stay informed on, on the important stuff and then just kind of live in my own little bubble and things are better that way. Yeah. I do the same thing even here. <laughs> it makes life easier <laughs> yet. Still no venues that I've ever been to have ever been torn down by a tornado. So, you know, I, I hope it stays that way. If you guys yeah. had tornadoes, then uh, the whole world has a problem. Yeah, exactly. And they're, then they're coming too far. They're, they're, they're traveling far and wide and we're in trouble. You know, that, that stuff does occasionally happen in Australia and there's definitely big floods and stuff over east. And, you know, over here in WA, though, like our kind of worst sort of day, just bushfires, you know, uh, there's they can, be, they can get really bad. Uh, and... All of the animals that try and kill us all the fucking time. Like, there's heaps God. of them, but don't they you guys they, have like you don't really think about it. Don't you guys have like giant spiders too. Uh, I don't know if they're necessarily giant. They're just the size that I've always known them to be, which is large, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> but they're not like tarantula size, you know, like a redback's like I don't know, like you know, that kind of thing. And he'll kill you dead, but like. A lot of people are very freak freak out about that. Here in Australia, we just like kind of swat them away. You know what I mean? They're not really like, okay. Uh, get him out of here. You uh, know what I mean? So it's not really a yeah kind of a big Koo deal. And uh, at the last uh, ETU show, Koo and Shazza had a really fun conversation where Koo was like, "You guys have big ass spiders in Australia," and Shazza was just like. Yeah, well, literally anybody at any given time in America can have a fucking gun, and that's terrifying. And I was like, I, th- I think she beat you on that one. <laughs> I'll take the spiders any would. day of the week, eh, over, over the uh, random guns that are everywhere. Like, they again, guns exist here, but it, not not in the like level that you guys deal with them you know what i mean like it's yeah uh, it's it, not a thing i could walk into walmart and some dude just got a gun on his hip for no reason it's like why open like, carry stuff really... is wild man like i see pictures of the internet there's a guy in line for subway with a bazooka on his back and shit and i'm like what the fuck I like i that. i haven't seen a bazooka in real life i like the only guns i've ever seen in real life are like on the hips of police officers or like my dad kind of lives on a farm and you know he's got like a couple of rifles like a 22 and stuff like that but they're mm-hmm. like in a cabinet and you know and locked away and only used for you know shooting ruse or, or whatever it may be you know i don't just see people getting around with firearms you know that's wild it's it's fucking wild man like I, and I'm not like anti-gun, like yeah, I, yeah. you know, I, I'm like I'm I'm chill with them. I don't really have a use for them. Uh, I, it's funny, like my line of defense for intruders has always been like a bat or a crowbar. Mm-hmm. Uh, luckily, I've never had to do that, but yeah. like my my like line of thinking is, well, it's gonna be quicker for me to grab this and swing it than to like have to like, okay, where's the gun? Is it loaded? Blah blah blah, whatever. So like, I can just like. Yeah, Done. unlock the box, get the thing, load the, you know, all that kind of stuff. And you don't, don't just want, like, you know, a loaded gun around, 
under your pillow exactly. or something like that. That's stressful. I mean, we've just been doing this podcast and your cat's running at least twice across the thing. <laughs> it could just step on a trigger and blow you away, you know? <laughs> like, Dude, she's a fucking maniac. <laughs> she is... She she probably would do that too on straight up just purely accident. She would step on a gun and yeah, yeah. and just, like, just there's a fucking hole in the wall and <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's too, too chaotic. Well, anyway, guns and stuff aside, we we're not we're not on the gun cast <laughs> here. We're talking about podcasts. So so yeah, you and Ku start sub, um, yeah, and your announced style ring announcing stood out to me as part of that vibe and stuff because you were obviously doing hardcore vocalist introduces wrestling, which I really liked immediately. I was like, I'd never seen this before. And that's really Thank cool you. and stand out when it was really different. I, besides wrestling Tank in, in that death match on the second show, did you do any more wrestling at SUP or were you really just focused on organizing the shows? Were you doing commentary straight away or, or how did that transition work? Um, so on the first show, I was ring announcing. Um, the second show, I wrestled Tank, so I didn't ring announce. I did a little commentary on the second show. Um, and then a few shows later, I don't, I think it might've been the second or third year I wrestled Brett, um, in a dog collar match and we broke the dog collar in under five minutes. Um, and, um, I will say if you're ever wrestling Brett, don't give him a chair. Uh, I took probably three or four of the nastiest chair shots I've ever taken that gave me like probably the worst concussions I've ever had in my life. Um, but that was my own fault because I could have easily put my hands up and protected myself. But for the sake of the story, I was like, no, I just, I got to take this. Like, yeah. it was like a weird, like redeeming thing for me because when we were in the backyard, like when I went to protect myself from chair shots, I always thought like my hand was like super flush with my head, but it was like super far out. Cause I was so afraid of getting hit in the head. Uh -huh. uh, so in a weird way, like, it was redemption for me to just like sit there and take this. Uh, and it, I mean, in my, in my opinion, it helped the story. I don't regret it at all. Um, so I did ring announcing a little commentary and wrestled tank ring announced for a while and did commentary at the same time. I would do commentary with Dylan um, and then get up ring announce, go back to commentary. Then I did that match with Brett and then for a while, I didn't do any ring announcing and stuff. We had another guy named Steven do ring announcing for a while. And I was just solely on commentary with Dylan. And then we had um, we had a show that we weren't really sure how attendance would be. So we decided to flip some things and see how Steven would do on commentary. And he did pretty good. And I was like, well, I'll just ring announce while he gets his feet wet with commentary. And then it just kind of stuck from there. And I guess it would have been about three years ago that I was just like, permanent fixture as ring announcer. Um, and I always say that I, it, I was lucky at the first show because I was just very aware of my environment. I was in the middle of the ring and the venue, we mismeasured the, the room when we measured for the ring. We barely fit the ring in there. Then we crammed like a hundred people in that room. Um, so I was just standing in the middle of that ring as the show was starting and it's this dark, damp, dingy, hot room. And I was like, oh, I've been here before. This is just a hardcore show with a wrestling ring in the middle. Let me yeah. just do this. Yeah. Um, and Koo loved it. Koo, you know, it made Koo laugh because who would have expected that? You yeah. know, like, especially in the South, like, everybody's, like, so traditional and, like, suits and ties, which is great. Like, I, I love that. Um, 
but it just didn't feel right for SUP. So I just kind of did my own thing and it seemed to work. And, you know, I've, I've got some flack for it over the years from certain people who, you know, I've always said it, it's not for everyone. It, you know, it's very much for who it's for. If it's not for you, that's totally cool. Um, but the people that get it, it's 100% for them. Uh, but yeah, it, it's been, it's been a blast. I've got to do a lot of really cool shit because of, I just decided to yell into a microphone at a random point. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, like I said, I hadn't seen anybody else do it before and it, it sets like a really awesome vibe for the show. Like traditionally wrestling's always, you know, and the next contestant is blah, blah, blah. And there are people that do that really well. Like I could have Larry Legend on every show forever and just be absolutely stoked with that because he does it the best, you know. But for the vibe that you guys were going for, it just set – it was another thing that sort of set it apart, which I thought was really cool. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. No, it was awesome. Um, So then I guess the, the natural progression then is how you came to, again, be doing commentary for ETU. Now, I know you and the struggles are, like, really good friends. How did you first meet him? Um, he had Koo on his podcast. I think he had Koo and Marco Stunt on, and I was listening, and uh, I think I maybe just, like, tweeted about it, or I don't remember exactly how we started talking, um, but he ended up having me on his podcast, and we just hit it off. Uh, he had me on the Spotlight series. We hit it off, had a great conversation, just kind of stayed friends from there, um, and uh, I think it was the first time I did the Spotlight series, he told me, uh, he wanted to run a show and call it Struggle Mania. And uh, I've always pushed him to do it, always. I was like, you got to at least get one out of the way. Yeah. Or you'll you'll hate yourself forever if you don't try. Um, and then we we talked about it. Um, st- stuff, with stuff, started ta- stuff with Sup started taking off, and I was doing a bunch of stuff for other places. Um, I was doing IWTV VJ work for a while, and Ryan and I collaborated a lot on the videos that I was doing for IWTV social media. Mm-hmm. So just through working together, we became really good friends. Um, and then he told me about ETU, and I was like, yo, if there's any way I can help, let me know. More than happy to, you know, do whatever you need, whether it's just from here at home, just, like, sharing stuff or, you know, whatever you need, like, just here to help. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we, you know, he was like, well, what about commentary? And I was like, uh, fuck yeah, because – I never wanted to be a ring announcer. It was like when I did it for SUP, it was out of necessity because we couldn't pay anybody else. Our budget was like so paper thin. Yeah. Um, but like I said, because of that, I got to do a lot of really cool stuff. So Ryan had heard my commentary. We had actually done a little bit of commentary in Tampa together. So he knew I was capable. Um, then he threw me in there with Ron Mimi and Ron is such a fucking wild card. I love Ron to death. And <laughs> we've only best. met twice. He, he really is the best. Yeah. But yeah, ETU has been just incredible. Uh, there's only been a handful of places that I've walked into the venue. And usually, like for the last two ETU shows, we've gotten there super early, mm-hmm. like hours and hours before we needed to be there. Um, and even at that point, when you get there like four hours before a show, and everybody just has this energy to them where they just want to put on the best show possible for all the right reasons they just want to make this a great product like i've only been in a few locker rooms where the morale is super high everybody wants to put on a great show everybody's crazy passionate and it i mean i'm talking this goes from from guys like jonah and ach to like 
Shazza to the SATs, uh, like everybody just has this the, the mindset of we're gonna make this the best show possible. Yeah, that's and it. it's it's just fucking incredible. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I imagine with you coming up, you know, through those, you know, dodgy indies you were talking about at the start, you've seen some locker rooms that would have fucking tested your want to even be involved with wrestling. You know, like sometimes things happen in wrestling and on social media where I'm just like, I'm so exhausted with this, like the the drama and the bullshit and the bad people and stuff, and it, and it tears you out, uh, tears you down. But then you see something as pure as like the ETU shows and you're like, this is why I love this. Like, this is why mm-hmm. this is so fun. And so it's really refreshing. And I mean, with, with struggles, ideas and him running it, it could never not be that, you know what I mean? Because he's such a, a positive force, you know, in, in his yeah. outlook and, you know, countless times that guy's lifted me up. You know what I mean? He like, is the reason why, I do podcasting. I didn't think I could until like listening to him, you know, and like the things he would say on his show. So uh, the fact that everybody would rally around him and be, you know, into it and wanting to make it as good as possible makes sense to me. Yeah. And it, it, it really does feel exactly like that. It feels like everybody knows Ryan on a, on a fairly personal level. Mm -hmm. Um, And because of that, they, they just want to succeed. Like nobody wants to go out there and have a dud. Nobody phones it in. One thing that I've, I've really noticed with ETU shows is people notice when there are moments. Mm-hmm. So it's like things almost seem a little bit more deliberate and like people just kind of take their time with things. The best example I can give is actually not even like a subtle example at all. Uh, Ricky Shane page came out at the first ETU show and that crowd just kept singing his music and he just let it happen. Like him and Carlos Ramos just lived in it. Yeah. And I feel like maybe on some other shows, they wouldn't have let it, they wouldn't have just sat in it as long as they did, but I'm so glad they did because it was such a moment. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I just, I feel like real, everybody is very appreciative on those shows. They're, they're happy to, to, to be on that card because he stacks the fuck out of those cards too. Mm-hmm. Like I never thought in the year 2020, I would have, done commentary on a show that had the rock and roll express yeah. um, and an NWA junior heavyweight title match on it. Like it's wild. What the fuck? Exactly. Right. My mind was blown. Yeah. And I think anybody that speaks to him as well, and this would, I imagine go for like the talent on the show. It's pretty clear that he's out to tell stories. You know what I mean? It mm-hmm. doesn't come across like, this is a super card show. This is a spot fest show. This is a dream match show. He's building something, you know. He's building mm-hmm. a, a universe, so to speak, of what he wants ETU to become. And they probably see that and go, I can be a part of something pretty cool and be in the ground floor of an entirely blank canvas, you know. And so mm-hmm. that gives people room to move and, like you say, live in those moments and stuff rather than just be like, hey, I'm here to have a dream match with the Rock and Roll Express and then fuck off home. Like, it, I, I think it, he he's he's building it in the right way, I think is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, and one of my favorite things, and him and I have talked about this, uh, he is so intent on paying homage to that Tri-States wrestling legacy, you know, early Ring of Honor and stuff like that. What he inadvertently did was also book shows that pay homage to the wrestling I was going to when I was like 
12, 13 years old, which would have been before Impact was Impact, they were NWA TNA. Mm -hmm. And I was going to those shows every Wednesday. Mm -hmm. uh, and I would see guys like the Amazing Red, the SATs, uh, fuck. That, it just like a who's who of who was on the indies at that point. It, was, it wasn't uncommon for people to do loops at that point from like, they might hit Nashville on a Wednesday, IWA Mid-South on a Thursday, Ring of Honor on the weekends. Like, those were just the loops at that point. So I was seeing, like, Chris Hero, Delirious, the Briscoes, like, all these fucking guys, Kid Cash, like, just an insane who's who of wrestling. Mm -hmm. And, you, you know, Ryan told me, he was like, I want to, I really want to just give back to that. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, also what you're doing without even thinking about it is helping me give back to what I grew up watching you know going to in person so it's it's like a really cool double whammy for us i'm happy to be there and um i don't know if this was intentional or not but during like when everybody was coming forward and we were finding out just how many shitty people were in wrestling um i told him i was like i think i'm just done like yeah. things were locked down wrestling wasn't happening and i was like i think i'm just done man like i can't take much more of this i think i just gotta walk away and he would like, he was like, no, we need good people to stay. We need good people to stay. Not that I'm like the best person, but I'm definitely not like a fucking shit bag. Uh, but, you know, he would just be like, no, we need good people to stay and like kind of protect it. So part of me in my gut just kind of feels like he knew, like, I really, after COVID was like, I'm not going to take as many bookings as I was because I would like, I would get off work on a Friday, leave super early on a Saturday, do show Saturday, Sunday, get home with like 30 minutes before I had to be at work on Monday and just keep that cycle going. I got really burnt out yeah. and I was really ready just to quit and maybe just do sup, maybe even be done with sup. And part of me thinks that maybe the ETU bookings were like, well, if I keep booking him, he's got to stick around, uh, <laughs> which I, I would do ETU shows anyway. They're just, they're so fucking fun. Yeah. It, it was a tough time, you know, and I mean, it's still a tough time when, when things come out and you're just like, can we just be fucking done with this? Like, mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it can be really, really disappointing. And you're like, what do I put so much energy into when there's so many negative people also involved in it, you know? But then yep. when you, you look at guys like Ryan, like when you look at, you know, the good people and the people I speak to almost on a weekly basis, you know, I've been really lucky to to meet so many nice people and who I, you know, count as friends, you know, that I'm just like, it's, mm -hmm. it's not that, you know, the shitty people in everything, if anything, maybe independent wrestling at the moment is better than a lot of stuff because the difference is people are calling it out. You know what I mean? I imagine yeah. all this shit goes on in professional sport all the time. Just nobody says fuck all because there's a lot of money involved, you know, and things like that. And there's hush money and there's things you don't hear about the bullshit in the NFL or the NBA because they just pay people and make it go away. You know, the difference is that in independent wrestling, or at least I like to think so, people go, no, that's not okay. And then yeah. they shut it down. No, so maybe that's a good thing, you know. That's what I try and tell myself anyway. No, I, I agree with that 100%. I would rather live in a world where those things are called out and can be addressed and we can either help help the um, the people in the wrong kind of realize their wrongs and maybe um, redirect them. That way they learn from their mistakes or if they're just going to be, you know, habitual 
offenders and you know, just horrible people just just get out man. Yeah. like we don't exactly. have we don't have room for that like yeah. and 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 i think that comes from and you know where i was in hardcore you know it was nothing for us to show up on a show any given night and have to fight nazis you know <laughs> you would have to fight nazis out of the venue at like fucking 15 16 years old that's, that's uh, so fucked i i have one nazi story one nazi story in my entire life uh from when i was in a band um, we were on tour through New Zealand. We were kind of doing mm-hmm. both the islands and, and stuff like that. It was pretty awesome. We went snorkeling with Meshuggah on that trip. Funny story. But uh, <laughs> they were having a great time. It was very funny seeing them being like, fishy down here. It was really good. But uh, we were at this one um, one show. Meshuggah were not on the show. Uh, and we were playing, and there was like a lot of just like bald dudes like hanging out and like mm. moshing in the pit and stuff like that and like really into it. And we're like, there's a lot of bald dudes going on, but I guess that's the style of New Zealand. I don't know what's going on. And I remember I was like walking out of the venue, like loading my gear. And I heard like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And like all this yelling and stuff. I'm like, what's going on? And I walk around like the side, like in the beer garden. And there's this dude, bald, spoiler alert, all of them were, uh, and like in a suit, and he was stood up on like a table or like a stage type bit and just like holding court, you know what I mean? Like saying some horrible shit, throwing these mm. up and then everybody like doing it and stuff like, and they're like, yeah, and doing it. And I look down, I'm wearing like a Jay-Z cut off, like, like shirt. I just cut the sleeves off and I go, okay, I got to get out of here now. <laughs> just fucking yep. like and roll. I I'm don't no need this. Safe. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, that's, that's fucked. And I, when you need to like, fight for your scene, I guess, and for your shows mm-hmm. and venues to not be taken over by that shit. That's pretty intense. It, it, it Nashville hardcore was weird for a while, man. Like mm-hmm. it was either 10 of us at a show just having fun and bands being super disappointed because they weren't making shit for money mm-hmm. or like agnostic front would come through and like they were chill, but you know, Nazis kind of, or skinheads at least love agnostic front. So mm-hmm. you, I learned at a very young age the difference to, between like a skinhead and a Nazi and a sharp and all that stuff. And uh, it, it's so funny. I can be out, you know, at a bar here in Nashville and I can still, you know, point out. Luckily, I don't see Nazis anymore for the most part. If if they're around, they're very well hidden, mm. um, at least in, you know, in in my world. Like, I, I just yeah. don't see them anymore. But like, you can tell like a skinhead from a sharp and like, I still, you know, know a couple skinheads that aren't Nazis. Uh, and I see him from time to time whenever I do make my way out to a show. But uh, yeah, it's, it's fucking wild. Like, just, I never thought like, my grandmother was from Germany. So I grew up like, knowing like a lot of like German history. And like, she lived through like the Holocaust and shit. Oh, wow. um, so like, that's always been like, I just don't fucking stand for Nazis yeah. at all. Like, mm-hmm. I, I just I can't. Absolutely. Uh, so, yeah, just having to do that at, at a young age. Like, I remember telling my mom about it when I was young, and she was just like, you're doing what at these shows? And I was like, yeah, there was a bunch of Nazis, so we just kicked the shit out of them, and then they left, and that was it, and they never came back. Yeah. She's like, you're fighting Nazis. And you're like, yeah, that's how it's done. Yeah. <laughs> I've got it, Brett Ison so with me. It's how, fine. God. It, like... <laughs> It's just so weird how, like, that was just life as, yeah. like, a 15, 16-year-old at it's that crazy. point. You know, we didn't even think anything of it. It was yeah. just get them out so we can go back to having fun. Yeah. No bullshit. Yeah. And like I was saying, I'd rather live in a world where 
you can call that shit out and get everybody on the right track and, you know, be on a more progressive path mm-hmm. than just, you know, the hush money being thrown out there. Like, I don't, yeah. I don't want that shit. Yeah, I want everybody to, to feel comfortable and welcome and, you know, just everybody love everybody. Yeah. You know, it's not that hard. It's, it's not that hard. Struggle said it best. I remember one of his shows. He's like, the easiest part of my day is like getting up in the morning and like, not being a shitbag, <laughs> like not it, hitting on underage really girls, crazy. not being racist, not being a terrible person, and I wish more people would subscribe to that uh, logic because he he summed it up pretty well. It, I mean, and it really is that easy. Like, it, you know, just don't be a fucking shithead. You know, just don't uh-huh. be a scumbag. It's it's so fucking simple. It's probably the easiest thing you can do all day. Yeah, exactly. Just get up and don't be a piece of shit, and then you're good to go. But uh, some people fucking struggle with that. So hopefully we'll eventually flush them all out. But the way the world works is that's not always the case. You know, these kind of things live in darkness. So we'll just keep shining light on them and uh, be done with it. But, yeah, it gets hard because sometimes you're like, I just want to watch fucking wrestling, man. Like, (laughs) I want to be able to have a favorite wrestler and then not find out he's a piece of shit down the line. You know, that's... man. Yeah, exactly. It's disappointing. It's a real... it's a real uh, coin flip sometimes, but I think we're getting to a really good point where we've got a crop of some some really good ones, especially you know at ETU. Hundred uh, percent. Everybody that I've encountered at ETU have all have all been wonderful. Uh, I got to fucking sit and talk with some of the SATs a couple weeks ago, which was just absolutely mind blowing to me. Uh, and yeah, like just those shows are incredible. Ryan's got a great product up there, and. Doing the first ETU show really made me fall back in love with wrestling. Yeah, that's awesome. It was great. That's awesome. Tell me about how you develop your your commentary, man, because I think everybody has maybe, you know, thought about it when they're a wrestling fan, and some people might think it's easy and some people might think it's really hard. What do you do to sort of keep yourself sharp and, you know, think about moves and think about knowing the stories and, and, you know, knowing the wrestlers that you're speaking about. Like, do you, do you take notes or it's just off the top of your head because you're that big a fan? You are buying the new WWE game and going through the creator mode to brush up on all the move names, you know, these kind of things. Um, so for me, um, for a while, I didn't really watch much. Uh, all I really watched was the stuff I was doing, you know, live uh so i i was fortunate because like i was doing commentary for a place in alabama called new south a mm-hmm. uh, place in indianapolis called bizarro lucha bizarro was cool because it was basically just like here are some guidelines for the stories we want to tell just have fun be yeah. as goofy as you want so that was like my let the hair down kind of tell some jokes have fun um i've done you know commentary a few different places Usually what I do, um, if I'm not familiar with people, uh, which from time to time that does happen, I'll seek them out and I'll ask, hey, is there anything, you know, specific you want talked about on commentary, like a move? Um, Is there like, have you gone over the match? Is there a story you want here? Um, And I'll try to get with as many people as I can. Or Ryan will sometimes have notes and be like, hey, this is this is where we're going, you know, kind of play off this. Um, But a lot of the stuff just kind of comes from being a lifelong wrestling fan. Um, I might call a, like a certain move, a different name that I grew up hearing it called. Like, um, I can't think of an example right now, but like, you well, know, like, there's certain like moves Excalibur that have Excalibur on AEW a, a began regularly calling like a suicide dive, like 
the Tope Suicida. And so, mm-hmm. like, growing up a WWE fan, you always just were like, suicide dive or whatever. And then he started doing that, and then now everybody just kind of calls it, like, its real name sort of thing, you know. And I, I honestly, I think I prefer Tope Suicida. Same. Like, it just sounds more exciting to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I don't know. Like, I, I funny story. Uh, the first DTU show, Ron and I barely spoke before we sat down together. Uh-huh. We maybe like said, Hey, uh, and then we called half the show together and he was like, I think we're doing pretty good. And I was like, this feels really good. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, he, he was, you know, very honest with me. He's like, I'm not going to know some of these newer guys. So I'm relying on you. And luckily, you know, I knew, you know, most of them, if not, I had at least talked to him and gotten some notes. Um, but doing commentary with guys like Dylan Hales, uh, really helped me. Uh, Dylan has such a, um, such a unique cadence when it comes to commentary. He can be so seamless with like calling a match or like plugging something and then immediately hop, hopping back into, um, calling the match. It's insane. But I think one thing that's helped me recently is I've actually been watching more, um, AEW and have realized that. Tony Schiavone is possibly my favorite commentator of all time. Yeah. And I think it's because he does a very good job of doing play by play and sprinkling in some color with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's kind of my goal. Cause I've had to call shows by myself and I kind of really enjoy it because you, you have to do everything. Like you, you can't suck. Like yeah, you yeah. have to be good to do that. Um, so I think listening to, and even when Taz was doing more commentary, I, I love fucking Taz. loved Taz yeah. as a commentator. I love when wrestlers become good commentators because they have such a unique perspective. And that's sometimes something I can play off as well. Having, you know, a handful of years of experience as a wrestler, um, I can tell you, you know, why something hurts or why you want to get out of this or the easiest way to get out of that, you know? Um, So really it's just gathering notes. Um, Sometimes it's a lot of notes. Sometimes it's, you know, a little, and they're just like, here's this run with that. This is my gimmick run with that. Just base, you know, whatever off of this. And it's a lot of fun. Um, it, it's easy and it's hard at the same time because where wrestlers are out there for the duration of their match, you're out there all night. You're calling every match for the most part. And like, I'll say it's more tiring than I ever expected. You know, you, you think just sitting there talking about wrestling as it's happening is a pretty chill job, but like at the end of the night, I'm fucking spent. I'm so tired. But I feel like that's because, you know, we're out there. We're not just like, oh, yeah, he hit, you know, a DDT, one, two. Oh, he kicked out at two. We're like, we're in it. We're into it. We want to sell it. Um, we want to sell the importance of everything. That way the people watching at home understand the urgency and the importance of of yeah. every small detail. Yeah, you have to be locked in with it. I mean, even just doing these podcasts, you know, doing an hour, two-hour conversation, whatever it may be, it's tiring just being engaged with somebody. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. hanging on every word, reacting, your own thoughts, you're thinking about what's next, you know, and kind of guiding stuff. I imagine commentary is very similar in that, yeah, you're thinking about that. What's the next match? What do I need to, to sell for what he's going on? What's his finisher again? Do I need to read this ad read? All of that while it's possibly airing live around the world mm-hmm. on like IWTV. You know, you can't really just go, hang on, stop, or start again. You know what I mean? You need to keep going. You can't be uh, caught up on if you fumbled a word. You've just got to keep keep going, you know? 
Yep. Yeah. Um, one thing I told Ryan is uh, after this last ETU show, I have a whole new respect for Excalibur because, you know, I feel like he's always the one to read those ads on yeah. Dynamite or whatever. And we had some sponsors for the last ETU show, and I was trying to work them in. That way it wasn't so clunky and it felt more natural. And I feel like I did an okay job, but it's still, it you know, it's still jarring to go from, like, wrestling commentary I should say it's jarring for it's probably jarring for like the the viewer at home to go from like wrestling commentary at wrestling commentary. But I felt like it did a pretty good job. And the only thing that was really playing in my head is like, how does Excalibur do this so seamlessly? Yeah, he it, it's like he like there's like the smallest breath between calling a move and then into the ad and then back to the action. Yeah. And I after that last show, that man like. My hat's off to Excalibur because of that, because like some of the ads he has to read are so fucking long. Yeah, uh, I don't know how he does it. Yeah. And then all the while, like juggling another two commentators, and so you want to shit. Tony's all over it, but Jr. these days is pretty loose and like just mm-hmm. sort of comes in and says whatever he wants and miscalls stuff and things like that. And Excalibur's always just like keeping it on track and going, yeah, so anyway, and then like, just like re- redirecting and stuff. He's a monster, man. Yeah, he's really like not just a commentator, but a ringleader because, yeah, you know, like you said, JR, like as good as he's been for years, like now, you know, he, he kind of just gets to do whatever he wants. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't really work. Shivani, I feel like, is always on. Yeah. And then Excalibur, who's like the young gun out of those three. Sometimes I feel like Excalibur feels like he has something to prove being there with those two. So he like that's why he's just so fucking good because oh, he's, he's like I gotta hang with these two legends. Yeah. So he but, just but, and, and they no have breaks. like you can tell that uh, especially from where it's come from, like they kind of didn't know who he was almost at the start. But you can tell now they lean on him. You know what I mean? He's mm-hmm. like earned their respect and stuff. And they're like, he's running the show. We're just going to sort of pepper in stuff, you know? And that includes mm-hmm. when they will then bring in another person. Chris Jericho's in there. Uh, CM Punk's on commentary as well. And you've got like a four-man booth and stuff. And Escalibur's always steering it. Like he he's really runs that show. Yeah, he's, he's such a good navigator with that booth. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I have actually um, declined bookings when I was told they would be a three-man booth. I'd be like, you know what? You already got two people. You don't need a third one. Yeah, Three-man booths, they're not really my thing. So I can't even imagine doing a four-person booth. Like, that sounds like hell on earth to me. <laughs> yeah. You'd have to, like, you'd have to have a pretty dialed-in team, you know? Like, you'd have to be mm-hmm. like, the three of us are used to doing it together, and then we're just going to have a guest in for this thing. But just being thrown into it as a one-off show, I imagine, would be pure chaos. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, like I said, I don't know how they consistently do a three-man booth, and then when you have the guests thrown in, like, I, that just, like, spikes my anxiety so much, because, like, it's just, if it's not done right, it's so bad, and it, and it can be done right, and nine times out of ten on AEW, I feel like they do a really good job of doing it right, but if you, you know, if you have the wrong person, then it's just, it's a complete shit show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Absolute nightmare. But hey, you don't need to worry about it. You're locked in with Ron. Maybe occasionally struggles will pop his head in. 
and uh, and give a bit uh, of colour. But for the most part, you know, you're you're locked in with a two man booth, and Ron's one of the best in the business. And uh, you, I guess, you don't really need to worry about any downtime because Ron's got plenty of stories that he's just gonna <laughs> gonna, gonna bang on telling. You just have to sit there and and try and remember that you've got to say stuff other than just like listen and laugh to whatever nonsense he's uh, coming up with. I have. It, just in the two shows I've done with Ron, I have picked up a lot of knowledge, yeah. and I have noticed that sometimes when he's telling his stories, I am literally hanging on his every word because, like, I, sometimes, like, Ron is just so full of life. Like, I forget he's been in wrestling for as long as he has been. Um, <laughs> so when he starts telling some of his stories, like, I'm just, like, in awe. And then I'm like, oh, fuck, we have a match to call? Like, I have to, like... I have to like hop in here and be like, holy shit, th- this just happened, you know? Uh, and, and Ron's great because like some guys would take offense like being cut off during a story, but Ron gets it 100%. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I've never done commentary with anybody like Ron before in my life. And I mean that with the utmost respect. He is a fucking blast. Yeah. Um, getting to know Ron has been just like, I, I almost feel like my poor girlfriend is just tired of me talking about Ron because every time I come back from doing ETO shows, I just have like 10 Ron stories because he's, he's just so fucking fun to be around. Dude, he's the best. He's got the best voice. Like there's times when, you know, he's on ICW No Holds Barred and struggles will literally just stop what he's doing and just go, wait, is that true? Like he's already just completely <laughs> distracted by what he's talking about. He's literally amazing. He's my favorite. We need a... Uh... We need a Ron fact checker on site. Uh, not that I think Ron would ever tell a lie, no, I, but I think it would be really funny if, if one time uh, on commentary he played like two truths and a lie, <laughs> and uh, you had to figure out which one was which. Uh, no, Ron, Ron. The trick is they were all truths. He's never lied about anything. It is fucking wild as some of his stories sound, man. Like I don't even question him because, like, I know how zany the world of wrestling can be. So, like, I, I mean, fucking, like, fifteen, I had a shotgun pulled on me. So, like, it takes a lot for me to be like, ah, I don't know about that. Yeah, yeah. And Ron just got so many great stories. Yeah, nah, he's, he's the man. Well, as we start to wrap up a little bit, man, let's quickly, we'll just run through the last show. Era of the Unexpected was an awesome show. Um, it was really killer, and I'm sure you had a great time calling it live, and I had a good time watching it live. I was uh, I was in Melbourne at the time, actually. I was in, like, a, a harbour suite, and I got up early. By accident, I'd kind of almost forgotten that I'd sent an alarm for it, and then my little thing dinged on my phone, and it's just like, ear of the unexpected, and I was like, Excellent. <laughs> so I just like rolled out of bed and powered on my laptop. I'd been at Deathmatch Down Under for the first time the night before. So I had an awesome time there meeting everybody. And then like my my next favorite um, independent uh, programming just popped up on my, my phone. So I powered it up on the laptop and cranked up a coffee and, and, uh, and started watching it. And it was an awesome morning, man. And what a way to start. It was, Like you said, it was an NWA Junior Heavyweight Championship match. And it's homicide versus tony deppen like crazy christ crazy two absolute killers uh and that's my one of my favorite things about etu is like ryan will announce like people and then he'll announce a couple matches but then you really you know it plays into the name expect the unexpected um so when deppen came out it's like well who the fuck is tony deppen gonna fight you know he's a he's a straight-up killer yeah and then here comes homicide and then then it's an NWA junior heavyweight title match. And like I said, I never in my wildest dreams thought in 2022 I would be calling any sort of NWA championship match, let yeah. alone fucking homicide and Deppin. Like, that's nuts. Yeah, it's wild, isn't it? And, like, 
the the match was was awesome, and then afterwards, Homicide is saying all the things that we all think about Tony Depp, and that I'm not all the way convinced he knows about himself. You know, like he's just mm-hmm. like you need to understand that, like you could be signed. You know, you could. He's a, a gatekeeper to the independents, you know, and I think that's just the the only thing maybe holding him back is himself. You know what I mean? He just needs to take himself seriously and and go to that next level because I mean the dude was, you know, in Ring of Honor like before everything changed and stuff. He just needs to find the right company and the he can go all the way. Yeah, I have no doubt that one day, you know, I know. Uh, Tony like dabbles, you know, he's got like the brewery and all that stuff, but I have no doubt in my mind that Tony could make 100% a living off wrestling. Mm-hmm. Um, and I honestly, I think it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the landscape of wrestling is so strange right now with Tony Khan owning AEW and ring of honor, like who really knows what's going to happen. Um, but I think, you know, maybe Deppin finds his way back to ring of honor. Maybe he ends up on AEW. I don't really know, but I think no matter what Deppin, you know, could make, a lot of money yeah. off of professional wrestling. I think I'd just like to see more of Deppin. And I don't mean mm-hmm. just like appearing more places to wrestle. I mean like social media presence and videos and, and stuff, you know, really getting across that persona that he has when he's live, you know, like I, I feel mm-hmm. like I, when he comes through the curtain, he's this force, but you don't really see it other than that on the shows. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. uh, when you think of some of the great, characters in independent wrestling that have really, you know, kind of built their own careers around their personas, you know, like uh, Warhorse or Danhausen or things like that. Like I f- Effie, I, I feel like Tony is that big when he's in front of the camera that he could just do more of that. You know, I don't know whether it's vignettes or more promos or more, just more Tony Deppin, I feel like would, mm-hmm. would go a long way into people understanding who he is and how entertaining he is. Yeah, I think I, I, you know, I think you're 100 right, and I think uh, one thing that would be really cool is if one of these companies saw what we see in Tony mm-hmm. and just was like, you know what, this is the guy we're all in on. This is the guy we're gonna just put all the chips on. Mm-hmm. And I, for some reason, I just feel like Tony is one of those guys that works really well under pressure. Yeah, and I feel like if he had all that weight on him, he would really, really shine. Yeah, right. Like that additional pressure would focus him rather than at the moment where he might be like, I don't really know what my next step is. It'd be like, this mm-hmm. is what you're doing. And then he would kill it. Yeah. Cause like in my brain, it, it's a no brainer. Like, you know, he's done game changer. He's done, you know, a bunch of places. And I, it, it's been said that game changer is like the third big promotion in America. And in my head, I'm like, well, fucking just have Depp and Russell Mox every fucking show, and I bet it's going to be a banger every single time. You know, just strap Deppin up and yeah. There Imagine you go. that, like that. You, if Deppin was the guy to upset Mox, like rolls him oh, up or whatever, man. and then begin like a thing where he's just like this cocky champion, like no respect for anybody, and Mox is like, I want him again. He's like, No, I'm the champion. I fucking already beat you. Whatever, and like. Yep. The the heat would just be crazy. Like, it, yeah, he. I'd love to see it. I think it'd be awesome. And and I think Deppin would would fucking kill that. He too. would kill I think it. He would yeah, do absolutely. a phenomenal job in that role. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, after that, we had MSP uh, versus Violence is Forever. Now, um, 
we're obviously both pretty familiar with Violence is Forever, Dominic Garini and your boy Kevin Koo. Uh, I hadn't seen MSP before. Um, I really enjoyed this match, man. I, I thought it was really cool. I thought MSP stood out to me. I actually really enjoyed your commentary in particular in this. I liked where um, I think it was Koo had wrapped up Danger Kid's arm and like stomped it out and stuff and you were you were talking about like the physical pain of like what he was going through and stuff like that I thought those kind of details are like what you were talking about with your own experience in wrestling you could kind of speak about you know the physical injuries that you know the wrestlers are going through I really enjoyed that thank you thank you um yeah sometimes that's a good thing to like I don't want to say fall back on but it's like I feel like everybody can at least to some degree um just kind of, you know, everybody knows what physical pain feels like. So if you can find something in a match and just kind of like focus in on that, like when Koo was just on Danger Kid's arm, like everybody knows what it feels like to hurt their arm in some way. And if I can kind of just like bring that to life through words while it's happening, um, and you know, like you, you said it really resonated with you, um, then I feel like my job is accomplished. Um, I had seen a handful of MSP matches through Limitless and I think Uncharted Territory. Um, obviously, I know Koo and Dom pretty well. Um, and Danger Kid and I had been like internet friends for a while, so we got to meet that day for the first time, which was really cool. I was actually very excited to call this match because it was like, I don't really know um, Aiden Agarwal all that well, but so I was like calling three of my friends match uh, and I knew how much tag team wrestling means to both teams. Both of them really pride themselves on being excellent tag team wrestlers. Mm-hmm. Um, so I knew it was just going to be, you know, Violence is Forever is on such a hot streak right now doing fucking AEW Dark or Dark Elevation and NWA and popping up in like West Coast Pro and stuff. And MSP, like, they're on a hot streak of their own. They've been killing it in the Northeast and all over for a hot minute. Um, and sometimes I feel like they get slept on a little bit, which, you know, they can almost completely reinvent themselves not that long ago. And just, you know, they were the mainstay posse dropped that. Now they're just MSP. And it seems like they've really found themselves in a level of just being completely comfortable with themselves that I don't even think they knew was possible. And now they're just out there fucking killing it. So when I saw that match, I got really excited because I love tag team wrestling. Like I said, smoking guns were some of my first favorite wrestlers. So tag team wrestling has always been special to me. Um, but yeah, those two, those two teams beat the shit out of each other. They did some wild stuff. And I think that might be a, a sleeper match on that show. Honestly, on a really loaded show, I think that's kind of a sleeper match. Yeah. I think, I think uh, it was a, a real uh, like um, cool contest. And I think as well that for anybody that watches it, it all the way through uh, and where Violence is forever sort of end up. Like, you want to see this match earlier so you can understand who they are. I think it'd be a good mm-hmm. match as well for the both teams to watch back because if I had any minor criticisms, it would be like, like you say, you were really going in on the details of the arm work and stuff like that. But then afterwards, like, Danger Kid was using that arm. You know what I mean? I, I think there was an sure. opportunity there to be like, I am fucked up. And that is, you know, that's on, I guess, like, the thinking through that stuff. And I, I, I think in the heat of the moment, it can be pretty easy for those kind of little details to get lost. But they're the kind of, that's the magic that uh, join up between commentary and the actual action and selling and stuff that can really put a match to that like next level in my eyes. Agreed. Yeah, agreed 100%. And uh, 
that's something that was kind of beat into our heads when we were training is like, if, you know, if something's being focused on, you know, not to like completely pull the curtain back, but, uh, you know, you just kind of like sell the body part that's being worked on, you know, mm-hmm. it gives the people something to believe in, something to latch onto, and that gets you sympathy. If, you know, if you need the sympathy, it gives you sympathy. Mm-hmm. If you need heat, then it gives you heat, you know, mm-hmm. it's just another tool to use. And, uh, like you said, I, th- I think it's something that can be kind of just lost in the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe at some point you can get it back if you're really thinking about it. But I think both teams were just like so on fire and, you know, violence is forever really, you know, coup really reps for the Southeast. Mm -hmm. Um, Dom really reps, you know, Dom might as well be an adopted son of the Southeast. Mm -hmm. Um, So they really rep for tag team wrestling. And it it felt like just a meeting of worlds. And I think both teams were out just to like do whatever they could to hit that kill shot and get the win. Yeah. And they absolutely did. It it was killer. And maybe I'm overselling it. Maybe danger kids a bit more flexible than we give them credit for. And it, didn't even fucking hurt. Uh, as, as we moved on, it was the open weight eight gauntlet. Uh, we had Max Caster, Azriel, uh, Vargas, Ace Romero, Yoya, Alex Price, Grim Reefer, Marcus Mathers. Um, this was a great concept. I really got excited when Struggle spoke to me about it in the preview show that we did leading up to it. The concept, uh, the concept of the gauntlet match has always been something I really liked. And for this match to play out with there being, you know, future, you know, title contendership um, opportunity on the line, it gave the entire thing stakes and it gave everybody a moment to shine uh, as it went through them all. Some, you know, notable, notable mentions, everybody was awesome in it, but... Max Caster was on fire with all mm-hmm. his bullshit the entire time. That was a really, really, um, that was really impressive. But um, man, Alex Price, like that dude, is just next up. Like in my eyes, like he, he was so impressive <laughs> as like somebody to build everything around. He's a really, really impressive wrestler. He is on he's on another level right now. Yeah. Him, you know, even Marcus Mathers, he's on another level, Mr. IWTV. Mm-hmm. Um, this was actually my first time seeing Vargas. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was very impressed with Vargas so much to the point where I was talking to somebody after the show. And I was like, I hope this dude ends up on more ETU shows because I think there's a lot that can be done with him. Mm-hmm. Um, also, <clears throat> this was, I think my first time seeing Max Caster live. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I realized just how big that yeah. guy is he is fucking huge yeah when huge. you when you see him like in AEW and you know you're against the the bigger giants there he doesn't look like that bigger dude you know but then you see him like next to regular people and you're like oh yeah. wow he's a, this is one of the biggest guys there until AC Romero comes out of <laughs> man in ace like he you know it, a gauntlet is so interesting because it can either be a series of quick matches or you can have like a long drawn out, you know, you never really know what you're going to get in a gauntlet. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Ace, Ace and Yoya, when, when Yoya walked out, saw Ace and was just like, <laughs> was like eh. I'm out. And then, <laughs> yeah. And then the boss man was just like, no, you got, you got to do it. You know, <laughs> Yoya is so good. Yeah. Uh, Yoya is somebody I've been watching for a while mm-hmm. um, through like Bloodsport and just various, you know, other shows. Uh, so, I, I've always loved like the the smaller guy versus the bigger guys. I think it's such a fun story. You can see it a million times, and you you know you might see something different every single time. I think Yoyo is something really special, honestly. 
I think so too. Um, and it, it feels like he's just getting started. I think it's going to be really interesting to see <coughs> what what comes from him. He's got like a real, um, you know, fresh, young aesthetic, I guess. Uh, and then, yeah, he just keeps excelling in these David versus Goliath opportunities that he keeps getting. You know, Mercer, uh, AC, like, just stands out straight away. You know, and then mm-hmm. there'll, there'll be an opportunity where it'll be like that underdog story and he's going to kill it. Yeah, and then this, you know, being the the match that sets essentially the tone for the title tournament because, yeah. you know, the winner of this match becomes the first contender in that title tournament. Um, ETU still in its infancy, you know, realistically. Um, so this title tournament could shape up to be, you know, the wildest fucking thing in the world. Yeah. Um, just, you know, Ryan's thought process is so interesting with who he wants to book and how, you know, he wants to put on the best show possible for, for the live crowd, for the, for the VOD, for the streaming and all that. And I think he's done a really good job of that so far. And I think it's going to continue. Um, but this title tournament, I think is going to be something that people talk about for a hot minute, honestly, because, you know, we, we don't know who's going to be in it. You know, again, like I hate to just keep playing off the name, but expect the unexpected. You really have no, you, you can't really rule anybody out, you know? And I guess, like the there's so many pieces in play when you're a new company as well. You know what I mean? It's like who's mm-hmm. going to be available, when's the date it's going to happen, all these things. So there's so many moving pieces. And to just begin setting it up in like such a smart way and giving earlier show stakes leading to it just makes it seem like a much bigger deal. So, yeah, I for one am looking forward to it. And I, I liked um, Marcus winning as well. I thought, it, you know, another feather in his cap. And then you look at somebody like, well, it, most people in the tournament, but Price especially, he's not the kind of guy that necessarily needs that to still end up in the tournament. You know what I mean? He's got right. plenty of claim and uh, can, you know, you can begin to tell the story of, He's the kind of person who feels jilted. He's like, I, I had to beat like, you know, three people to be in this thing and you got an easy ride. And like, this is just, it writes itself and it's very interesting. Um, after that, it was a no DQ match and it was uh, my countrywoman, Shazza McKenzie versus the boss of ICW No Holds Barred, Danny DeManto. <laughs> He's already shaking his head. <laughs> What a spectacle. What do you even say? What a spectacle. Uh, that was so much, I mean, not for Shazza, probably not for Danny, but that was so much fun to call because it was just batshit crazy. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, when she DVD'd him into that uh, pop can, that soda can door, Yeah. I thought Danny was fucked because yeah. of the way he landed. It looked like he just stuck. Yeah. And I was like, oh man, he's going to come up and have like the deepest cut on his side. But yeah. I kind of, you know, Danny's fucking wild. Like he is just Crazy. a whole different type of person. Crazy. And uh, he was, you know, he was beat up, but he was just like, fuck yeah. Love this shit. Love it. Like, man, yeah. you were, you were on another level, man. And is there a more, disgustingly devastating move than that like DeMonto driver when he just like does it off the top rope through tables it always looks like he's killed the person like every single time I'm like I swear I just saw their neck break as he he did it's always so fucking brutal 
And I I am a real sicko, and I love the shit that looks the grossest. So yeah. when he hits that fucking thing every time, I'm just like, yes, yeah, it's fucking fire savage. Up it. It's one of my favorite like finishes going right now because it just looks like murder every single time. Yeah, yeah. it looks like pure death and yeah. fucking. They went out there and you know, uh, just fucking tore it down. You know, the cool thing about ETU is it's such a it's a it's a diverse show, so you're gonna get a little bit of everything. And, you know, we flirted with, you know, the deathmatch aspect of things. Uh-huh. Uh, and that's one thing I really appreciate about Danny is he's not afraid to go out there, even though he's the boss of ICW. He's not afraid to go out there and get down and dirty with whoever. He'll yeah. do whatever it takes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, Shazza stepped up and she fucking fought her ass off. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a great match. I, I loved it. It was so much fun to call. Yeah, it, it was great. And uh, I love how supportive Danny seems to be of struggles you know what i mean like mm-hmm. he's some a very big part of icw no holds barred obviously for danny and the fact that you know he wants to do this and then danny's involved and he's wrestling on the shows and stuff it all just feels part of the same team which i love yeah no it's it's wonderful and, and there's definitely um a sense of unity uh danny is you know it's cool because like i would do anything for ryan ryan would do anything for me and i feel that Danny and Ryan are on the same page that Ryan and I are on. So it's like in return, I would almost do anything for Danny because, you know, we just have that connection through Ryan. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, So just watching Danny go out there and kill it on Ryan's shows makes me super happy. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those things, right. Where you're like, if, if you're good with him, then I'm good with you sort of thing. Like, because we're obviously all on the same wavelength, you know, I, I feel the same way. Um, the, yep. the next one up was the, um, Masha Slamovich and Akira versus Brandon Kirk with, uh, with Casey Kirk, but she obviously, unfortunately sustained an injury. So then we get the surprise edition of Marcus Mathers showing up for the second time on the show. I just want to, I mean, I, I always kind of say it, but Brandon Kirk, man, he's just the dude, uh, like <laughs> his offense and stuff. It, he was turning it out, man. Like he's so fucking good. He's another guy for anybody who's not seen him live is like surprisingly big. Yeah. Um, he's just like a tall dude. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've, I have loved everything he's done in ICW, um, him and Casey both. And I, I'm, I'm really sad that we didn't get the Kirks versus Masha and Akira, but Marcus, you know, fucking Iron Man stepped up yeah. last minute, hopped in for his fellow BSB team member. Yeah. Um, and they fucking threw down in that match, man. I just love, like, the amount of moves that Brandon seems to be doing lately of just throwing people on people. Like, he's just doing like, these <laughs> mean-ass release suplexes onto people and stuff like that with, like, using humans against humans. He's just... It's just been, like, a level of savagery from him lately that's just, you know, next level. I love it. Yeah, and anytime I, love I get it. to watch somebody hit somebody with another human being, I'm all for it. <laughs> that's some of my favourite shit in the world. Exactly. I... He's another guy where it's just like, just let him loose because he's mm-hmm. fucking, he just gets better every single day. I think, I mean, he's always been really good, but I think since he's been taken on that like teaching role or whatever, as far as I understand, I know he's been like teaching at H2O and stuff like that. I guess it's given him the opportunity to just be wrestling even more and like sharing what he knows and stuff. And you see him benefiting from it, you know? like Yeah. Um, two things about Brandon Kirk. One, I think that teaching role sometimes is beneficial to the teacher themselves because yeah. I think sometimes when you're teaching, sometimes you forget some of the things you know until you're in the moment. 
Yeah. And you're just like, you kind of unlock a memory and you're like, oh shit, I you know, knew this, I can show it, and then I can bring it back to my arsenal. Yeah. And uh, I also think there's a lot of layers to Brandon Kirk. Like, I, of course, I feel like right now we all kind of know him as like, you know, fuck the Kirk, scumbag type deal. But I think if it comes down to it, you've got a really good baby face in Brandon Kirk. Something about like the way he wrestles and just watching some of the selling he does really resonates with me. And I think if there ever comes a time for a baby face turn, it's going to be fucking money. It's yeah, going to yeah. be so money. I feel like it's already sort of happening just by osmosis. You know what I mean? Like Casey, yeah. Casey's recent like run of death matches and stuff at ICW No Holds Barred. Everybody seems to be like getting behind it. And then him, you know, as well naturally just gets swept up in that and you can see them just becoming more and more popular. And it's like you say, it's a, it's a matter of time, but they're almost basically there anyway, you know, <laughs> like everybody loves them and it becomes a point where you just can't like pretend that you don't anymore. Yeah. One thing I really like about them, uh, it, like them as a, it's a couple, like they're so supportive of one another. Like he does everything he can to uplift her and the same can be said for her about him. Um, whether it's, you know, in a match together, one of them's on the outside, you know, in like a managing role for the other one. Like, I just feel like you don't necessarily see enough of that. And it's cool to see, like, maybe she's got a higher profile match. She's out there like, fucking give him hell, you know, just like doing everything he can to help her keep her fired up. Like, I just think that's so cool. Yeah, absolutely. It's still fuck the Kirks, but, you know. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But it's also couples goals, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. 100%. Yo, let me stop you right there. I just need to holler at everybody and tell them about NordVPN. This service has been a bit of a game changer for me, man. Not only are they one of the first services, you know, to believe in me and to believe in this podcast, which is pretty amazing, but it's also been great to, like, pick up my internet access and throw it around the world. I've been able to access all the streaming services. I've been able to check out different shopping sites. It's keeping me safe and sound on the internet and protecting all of my important data. It's been pretty damn awesome. So if you want to give it a chance for yourself, if you want to try it out, if you want to get amongst the glory that is NordVPN, just go to nordvpn.com feels and use the code feels to get up to 70% off your NordVPN plan and at one additional month for free. Uh, it's also risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, which is pretty sweet. So yeah, nordvpn.com slash feels and use the code feels. Now let's get back to the interview. Now, uh, next up was the IWTV Independent Wrestling World Championship, AC Mac versus the Black Nature Boy, Scoot Andrews. Did you ever think you'd be calling a Scoot Andrews match? Dude, never in my <laughs> fucking life. Like, only, only Ron could have, you know, helped facilitate this. And, uh, just, I think I got lost a couple times just watching AC and Scoot interact because it was just like, it was such a cool moment because AC is like the now. And I don't feel like Scoot is like the past. I, I still feel like Scoot very much has a presence in wrestling today if he wants to. Yeah. Um, but it was just such a cool meeting of times. Uh, because AC has played such a trail for himself. And, you know, for all the shit he's given me and SUP in various places, like, dude's on fire. Dude's a star. He knows it. I hope he knows it. And Scoot, like, Scoot also blazed a path, you know. 
Um, and sometimes I feel like people just kind of don't talk about it enough, but like he showed up to ETU in like tip top shape, just fucking peak condition, ready to go. And they fucking wrestled. I was like, this guy's a con- contemporary wrestler. All right. Like, uh, cause I, <laughs> I hadn't really been exposed to the history and stuff. He didn't look like somebody like we're dragging out a legend from the past. He looked like somebody mm-hmm. ready to go. You know, he was in better shape than a lot of people on the show. Uh, and then it's my understanding as well that like, uh, AC Mack was not really about defending the belt anywhere other than the South at the moment. You know, he yep. has a point to prove and that's his whole thing. But when it could be Scoot, he was willing to do it because that's how much, you know, he meant to him, like as a wrestler. And so seeing them, you know, perform together and, and to have that contest, like you could tell it was something important. Yeah, and it's also funny because, you know, AC, you know, I, I believe trained in or around Atlanta, is a Southeast guy. Scoot, you know, spent a lot of time in Florida, all over the Indies, but is another Southeast guy. So two Southeast guys wrestling for the IWTV title in the Northeast where the champion doesn't even want to defend it in the Northeast. Like, yeah. that's that's fun. Yeah. And that, to me, that just shows, you know, what Scoot's legacy means, you know, for AC being so hard-pressed to not defend that title in the Northeast, to break that rule, yeah. to do it with Scoot. Like, that, I think that says a lot. Yeah, it absolutely does. It absolutely does. But, yeah, AC Mac is awesome, and I, I look forward to seeing how everything plays out with that title, man, because, yeah, he's absolutely killing it. And I would say, you know, probably one of the best on the independents right now, which is why he represents the Indies with that title. Um Agreed. Next up was Mia Yim versus Janai Kai. And I didn't uh, know what to really expect from this. I had only ever seen like Mia Yim in like impact in NXT and stuff. I'd never seen her like on the independence. And especially against somebody like Janai Kai, you don't really know what you're going to get. Um, I, I like this quite a lot. My, my wife was watching it with me by this point, And she was like, who is this girl like she was like she's a monster like like mm-hmm. she's totally about Janai Kai now she's like she's a killer she's going to murder me you know she's she looks like a very dangerous person that was cool because it was almost like mirror images in a way yeah uh both just like super super proficient strikers uh Janai Kai uh, if I'm not mistaken, I can't remember which one, but like, is a martial artist, Mia Yim, just like certified killer. Like, there's a reason Mia Yim has been in all these top promotions. It's because she's fucking great, you know? Like, let's just call it what it is. And Janai Kai, I think, is well on her way to being, you know, on the same level as a Mia Yim, you know? And I, I think this match really helped showcase that. If there were people that were unfamiliar, now they know that Janai Kai is the real deal. And, uh, that, I think that was my first time seeing Janai wrestle live, and I was fucking blown away. I had seen her, like, you know, I had seen uh, matches on IWTV or GIFs, whatever, clips, uh, but seeing it live is completely different because there, there's just, like, a certain intensity to her that I don't know if if it really comes through, like, when you're watching a stream or not, but when you see her live, like, the way she carries herself, she carries herself like a fucking killer, and it's yeah, incredible. Yeah. She looks like a Mortal Kombat character. Like in real yes. life, like she looks dangerous, and the match played out that way. Like it was me, him, kind of scrambling for her life, really, as this mm-hmm. up and coming hungry killer is just trying to murder her. 
you know, and then she, mm-hmm. she manages to sort of eke it out. But it wasn't this like, oh, this is my return to the independence and I'm just going to smoke somebody. Like, that wasn't how it felt at all. It was like, there's some real shit out here you need to be worried about. Yeah, and I don't want to say that Mia maybe, you know, was a little more relaxed coming, you know, coming into the match with Janai. Mm-hmm. But I, th- I think you can only be so prepared, and Janai's just going to catch you off guard because, you know, she's got such a deep arsenal of strikes, and, you know, she can go into that martial arts background. Um, and I, I just, I don't know if you've been away for a while. I don't know how you prepare for someone like, uh, someone who refers to themselves as the kick demon, you know, like... <laughs> That 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 just screams like she calls herself what now? <laughs> exactly. The fucking kick demon, and I'm just yeah. like, bro, like you might need an exorcism or something. Yeah, like, that's those it. Feet. I'm gonna need an old priest and a young priest when I deal with <laughs> <laughs> someone's jumping out of the window at the end of this. I can yeah, feel it. Like, savage man, but but great match. And then, like we said, things that you never expected to be doing: calling a match with the Rock and Roll Express uh, and Kerry Morden. Versus the SAT. Just legends all around. Um, oh, my God. And what I thought was was really kind of cool and fun was that when you set up, like, the SAT in the, the first one, it's really like, these are the legends. What's the next dream match going to be? Um, a certain pace was set uh, with the main event in the, the last one. And then this... This time they go a completely different direction and go to the legends that are the Rock and Roll Express, which is obviously going to have a completely different pace to the match. And then we move away from dream match status when it when it finishes and violences forever are there. It's now like, and now we're telling stories. Like, and mm-hmm. now, now we're going to see what's happening within ETU. And I thought that was really cool. Yeah, the seeds have been planted and, you know... Uh... Violence is forever, you know, arguably maybe like the tag team on the Indies right now. Um, I think there are maybe a handful of other teams that could vie for that position. But, you know, if it, I know Ku and Dom pretty well, and they're never going to stray from a fight, they're never going to shy away from it. And if anything, they're going to look for it. And if they want to cement themselves as the tag team in independent wrestling, there are certain, there are a few teams you have to beat to be able to call yourself the team. Absolutely. And the SATs are at the top of that list. The fathers of the style today. Mm-hmm. There's a reason they're called that. I grew up watching those guys here in Nashville at NWATNA and on DVDs and whatnot. They're innovators. They're 100% legends. They're not even, you know, it, it almost feels weird to call them legends because they're not, you know, I guess old. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. they're not old at all, but they've done so much for wrestling. Um, so I, I was like, I was shocked to see Ku and Dom, you mm-hmm. know, take off the spot monkey suits, but I also wasn't shocked because I was like, if there's any two people here that are going to looking for a fight, it's these two. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I love a good pro wrestling, like, mask reveal. The henchmen were actually the enemy all along. Like, I love that. That's just like, <laughs> yeah, so like, Ku and Dom would have been like, we know what we got to do here. Like, this is the obvious play if we, we want to take a run at these guys. Like, we just jump a couple of these monkeys and uh, take their spot. Like, it, it writes itself. And I think it's very believable to, if you know Ku and Dom or if you've watched them wrestle for a few years, I think it's very believable uh, that they would have, 
just jumped the two guys that would have been in that spot and like yeah. it like the old sitcom trope where they were just like tied up in a janitor's closet yeah the that's, that's how i like to think it's like ha that's like oh, how I like man. to imagine it happened. There's still two guys in a closet somewhere, gagged and bound, like waiting to be found. <laughs> that when we were, you know, when they did that whole reveal, that's you know the exact thought that ran through my head. But it's like, it was such a fucking roller coaster to you know to go from SATs versus Rock and Roll Express to you know SATs, you know, getting the win, um, you know, going to cut their promo, and then Ku and Dom. You know, it's it's like gas a little bit of a break and then just like more gas than you could ever imagine because like Kuandam are pretty well received I feel like everywhere they go but in that moment like I I kind of thought they might have had to fight their way out of the building for a second yeah because yeah. It's, it's the fucking SATs exactly. in, on their home turf man yeah exactly like, that's a damn. statement the only way it could have gone better is that when uh, they throw the monkey through the table, and then everyone's like, "Who is it? What's going on?" If then the two guys that were bound up in their underwear stumble through the door, like, and then everyone's like, "Those guys!" And, and then they demask. That would have been the way to go. Just go full like Scooby Doo ending. That would have been pretty awesome. Oh, man, Zoinks. <laughs> pass these it. notes on to to the powers that be because that would have been it. the timing for it. it. But uh, but yeah, dude. It, it was an awesome, fun show. I can't wait to see what is coming next from Expect the Unexpected. Uh, I can't expect, uh, can't wait to see what Ku and Dom are up to um, find the SAT. Knowing struggles, we won't get many matches announced for the next one. There'll be a couple of key matches and then everything else is unexpected. So uh, I'm sure that's going to keep you on your toes when you're calling it as well. Oh, yeah. And, you know, we've got the, the title tournament coming up. Um, you know, we know Marcus Mathers is the first qualifier in that tournament. Um, I can't wait to see how that field shapes up. You know, uh, walking into that building, seeing everybody that's on the show, feeling the energy that everybody has that, you know, they're going to go out there and steal a show in the best possible way and just kill it. Um, I think that title tournament, whoever's in it, is going to be something very special. Yeah. And I'm very excited for the world to see it. And I'm honestly, I'm very excited to see who the fuck is in it because, you know, at this point, like I said, we're still, you know, in the infancy stages of ETU. Mm -hmm. So it, it's so cool right now because the talent pool on the indies is so deep, mm -hmm. you know, it, things are opening up again so you can pull Absolutely. from wherever. So you really have no idea who's going to show up in this thing. Yeah, exactly. It's not like there's an established roster. It could be anybody. And it's like, how many mm -hmm. people are going to be in it? What's it going to be? Like, it's, yeah, it's going to keep everybody guessing. So I don't know when uh, he's planning to run it. It may still be a couple of shows off yet. But w but when he does it, I think a lot of people are going to take notice and it'll really be the crown jewel of, like, the of the um, ETU shows. Yeah, I think, uh, I think the first two shows have been great for, you know, establishing an identity. Mm -hmm. But then I think this, you know, when, whenever this third show happens, if this is the one with the, you know, the uh, the qualifying tournament uh, or the title tournament, it's going to be one that really cements the legacy of ETU mm -hmm. and just kind of lets people know, like, hey, this is what we're about. This is what we're bringing to the table. You can either take notice or, you know, you're just going to you're going to you're going to find out one way or another. Like, I don't think you're going to be able to miss it, honestly. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I cannot wait, man. It's going to be so exciting. Dude, I want to thank you so much for your time today. Uh, I know it's late over there, and so I appreciate you taking time out of your evening to sit here and shoot the shit with me. It's been awesome getting to know you, man. 
Anytime, man. I've had a blast, dude. I appreciate you for having me on and talking all things uh, ETU and my fucking weird <laughs> upcoming in uh, pro wrestling, man. It's been a blast. Thank you. I love it, dude. Anytime. Absolutely anytime. So uh, tell the people where to find you on social media and how to support. Yeah, super easy. Uh, my Twitter got taken down at the uh, beginning of the year, which has been a blessing uh, in disguise. No so I'm on Instagram under uh, two different handles. Uh, the first one is at Righteous Jesse. And the second one, if you care anything at all about VHS tapes, is at VHS Party Tonight, like the Black Flag song TV party, but with VHS. <laughs> That's fun. Um, tell me quickly about the VHS thing, because I, I forgot to ask you about that. You Do you sell them or trade them or something like that? Uh, a little bit of both. Yeah. Um, so when uh, when wrestling got taken away due to COVID, mm-hmm. um, I'm very much somebody that just has to do something at all times. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have this fucking insane collection of VHS tapes mm-hmm. uh, because for whatever reason, that's just my preferred format to watch things most of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I you know, started collecting all these crazy tapes and then it kind of got a little overwhelming. So I was like trading and selling some off and then uh, spoke with a few friends mm-hmm. and... Uh, now it's turned into a pretty solid side gig for me where I can, you know, set up at flea markets or mm-hmm. do pop-up events, um, different stuff like that, and uh, just sell tapes to people. It's it's kind of crazy. We've created a sweet little uh, VHS community here in Nashville. There, yeah. You know, there's more collectors popping up almost weekly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've literally just packed a giant box of tapes today that's going to be shipped off to, I think, Pennsylvania and then off to a guy in uh, – I think, uh, Chile, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, like doing a little worldwide stuff. Uh, I've got this really cool, uh, punk rock flea market coming up, um, in June, mm-hmm. uh, which is going to be a lot of fun. We did one in December and it was a fucking blast. There's punk bands and vendors and it's, it's really fucking cool, man. I've, Same. I've stumbled into a really cool little quarter of the world where, uh, people appreciate the same thing that I appreciate. Um, and it's a very niche thing, but uh, we're growing, yeah. and uh, we'll see what happens. There's some really cool things uh, that I'm working on right now, so fingers that's, crossed that I can awesome. talk about that soon. Yeah, that's cool. I'd love to hear about it, man. That's so interesting. I, I love all that kind of stuff, flea market culture and things like that. I, um, I'll ha- actually have to get back to you. I um, recently, well, I mean recently, a couple of years ago now, I rescued like four or five big boxes of old wrestling tapes. Somebody had posted on a forum on Facebook or something and was like, hey, I've got these. They were my friends. Uh, He didn't want them, but I didn't want to see them get thrown out. Does somebody want them? And a friend, I wasn't even on the group, kind of posted to me like, do you want to do these? And I went, yeah. And I just jumped in a car and went and got them. So they're in my storage. I don't even know what's in there. There's old WWF stuff. Apparently there's old Japanese stuff. The guy even gave me oh, two wow. old VHS players. It was just like, you probably can't play these. Have these as well. So I haven't turned it on. I don't even know how I would plug it into my modern day TV, but I need to go <laughs> through them and stuff. So if there's anything in there that can be of use to you when we can ship between our countries again, I will hook you up because it. Uh, it I'd like to see them go somewhere where they can be taken care of. I appreciate that. When I first started collecting tapes uh, years and years and years ago, wrestling was my main focus. And I had a pretty gnarly collection of wrestling tapes at one point. And like, of course, like classic movies and like horror movies have always been like my thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was mostly wrestling. And then I moved once and was like, I don't want to fucking carry these <laughs> things. So I sold a lot of them off to like yeah. secondhand stores and whatever. Mm-hmm. 
really regretted that yeah because uh, there were some real gems in there mm-hmm. but uh i've been slowly building back my uh my wrestling tape collection uh there's a, a good guy on instagram i think his handle is like power dad 5000 uh he made a sick ass mike awesome comp tape oh see and uh yeah he's been great uh like i think it was right before i had neck surgery last year he sent me like two recorded from tv wwf tapes or wcw tapes i'm sorry and uh i watched those while i was just like i literally couldn't do anything so i just like watched those and just like it was great that's sick that's awesome. Well, I'll keep you updated, man. I've got to get into them and stuff, and we'll see what we've got. Uh, we've got uh, there might be some gems hidden amongst it, <laughs> or it yeah, might all I be trash. <laughs> but it, but if there <laughs> is, maybe maybe you're the man I've been looking for to safe keep them and uh, and make sure they don't get wasted in the world. So uh, we'll keep everybody updated on that. So anyway, everybody out there, make sure you follow Jesse online. Thank you again for your time. And so for Righteous Jesse, four ETU, and four faces and feels. Remember, it's all about peace, love, and pro wrestling. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Faces and Feels is a DIY project created and edited in-house by me, Rafe Houston. You can show your support by following us on Instagram, at FacesFeelsCast, Twitter, at FacesFeelsCast, and Facebook at Faces Feels Cast. Or send us an email with topic suggestions or feedback to facesandfeels at gmail.com. And don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes. Our banger theme is Loose Lips Sink Ships by the Thunder Vipers. Check it out on Spotify. And now hang around for a quick word from some friends of the show. Peace out. My body is a roadmap of pain. Oh! Deathmatchworldwide.com the official online merchandise store that is only for Deathmatch Wrestling. Featuring official t-shirts from No Peace Underground, John Wayne Murdoch, Akira, Madman Pondo, Zona 23, Neil Diamond Cutter, G. Raver, Schlack, Necro Butcher, and many more. If you are a Deathmatch Wrestling promotion, manager, or platform and are interested in joining the web store, send us an email to deathmatchworldwide at yahoo.com. Deathmatchworldwide.com for the violent view. Vinyls and Violence a brand celebrating a love of music and deathmatch wrestling. Follow on Instagram at Vinyls and Violence. Follow on Twitter at Legalized Ranch, and that's Ranch with two H's. And buy the shirts from deathmatchworldwide.com. Vinyls and Violence. I'm pretty sure it's like some weirdo shit like Pokemon or something.